From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. My definition of culture is the atmosphere that results from the decisions that a group makes in trying to accomplish their purpose. Uh, I love this word atmosphere. Like, you know, we, you kind of hear this sometimes if you're watching a big sporting event and the announcer say, the atmosphere is electric, right? Is what does it right. feel like to be a part of that group at, the, at that time? And it, it comes from all the decisions that as a group we make, the things we decide to do, the things that we decide not to do. That's Shane Jackson talking about his definition of culture and what a successful culture looks like in a medical practice setting. We'll hear more from Shane in just a moment, but first, a word from our sponsors. A strong financial foundation is critical for any healthcare organization. With Allscripts Revenue Cycle Management Services, you get a robust end-to-end revenue cycle solution that improves reimbursement processes and offers access to advanced analytics and reporting. With the right partner by your side, get on track toward a healthier financial future. Allscripts can help you reduce the cost of care while building a healthier community. You can learn more at allscripts.com. It's all about you this fall. Accelerate your path to medical practice leadership. Be empowering, be influential, be exceptional, be a leader. Join us in San Diego, October 24th through the 27th at the Medical Practice Excellence Leaders Conference. Or you can join us for our digital experience, November 16th through the 18th. Visit mgma.com mpe21 and register today. Our guest today is Shane Jackson, president of Jackson Healthcare. Shane's here today to talk about how leaders can learn to cultivate and articulate not only their own values and beliefs, but those of the group they're leading as a means to shape their organization's distinct culture. Shane, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Daniel. It's great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. You got it. Well. First, give our audience an idea of your background in healthcare. What's your what's your story you want to share with us today? Uh, sure, I've been in healthcare for uh, I guess coming on twenty five years, and I've done a lot of different things, uh, primarily in, in healthcare services. Uh, our company we started in two thousand, so uh, twenty one years ago, uh, I guess now, um, and we do a few things uh, around. Um, uh, primarily around workforce and healthcare. So the large part of what we do is healthcare staffing, doctors, nurses, uh, therapists, uh, executives, kind of you, you name it. Um, we also have a um, uh, outsourced part of our business. We have a, um, a, a technology part of our business. And we also happen to be one of the largest providers of telemedicine in the country. Okay. Well, I've been asking everybody I've been meeting with this same question where has your focus been during the pandemic? We have about 18 months into the pandemic, unfortunately, and uh, a lot of articles have already been written about this sort of evolving workplace. So I know with you so focused on culture and uh, workforces, where's your focus been? What have you been looking at and studying? 
Well, uh, you know, first of all, just from a, a business standpoint, uh, uh, COVID has been uh, just obviously incredibly disruptive, incredibly challenging. I mean, I, I think everyone that is listening to this has experienced firsthand uh, what COVID has done to to our industry and to the delivery of healthcare. And we uh, have literally provided uh, workers and clinicians to provide COVID care at, at, at more than a thousand facilities in all 50 states um, and have been alongside uh, our uh, you know, hospital partners and, and, and you know, care partners of, of all kind, if they have gone through these waves uh, and have dealt with the tremendous impact, stress uh, that it has caused on uh, the healthcare workforce. And I would say right now we are dealing with this to a level that's greater than what we have through, through this entire time. Um, uh, so many uh, nurses and even you know doctors who I, I remember talking to last winter and they just said you know they felt like this calling to kind of persevere through COVID um, and and then you know as we kind of got through the spring and things calmed down and you know COVID cases were down and vaccinations were up I, we, frankly there was just a lot of people who left the workforce and a lot of nurses uh, who retired early or, or you know cut back or that sort of thing and then of course uh, patients started showing up in droves over the summer as a result of all the delayed care. And then COVID hit again uh, in, in July. And it's been uh, just very, very difficult. And so um, we've been incredibly just busy and, you know, to the point of being overwhelmed through much of this uh, as we have, you know, struggled alongside our, our, our partners on, on trying to um, help meet the moment to, to take care of all these COVID patients. So it, it's been, uh, it's been a challenge from that standpoint. And then, you know, for, for our uh, internal uh, employees, as we call them, uh, with, that are, you know, working in our offices and the ones really supporting our great doctors and nurses who are in the field seeing patients. Um, it's been uh, differently, but in some ways equally challenging. Uh, dealing with a lot of the isolation through uh, the times when we were uh, on lockdown and the anxiety that's gone along with that and just the changes as we try to figure out what, how to handle all these different questions involve our family and, and, and that sort of thing. And so it's been uh, no shortage of challenges over the last 18 months, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. Has there been, when you're talking to these different practices and different organizations, has there been a recurring theme? You said a lot of people are considering retiring or actually taking retirement or taking time off. Is it, if there's a recurring theme, is it burnout or is it just this anxiety and behavioral health issues that you were kind of alluding to earlier? Or what, what would you say if there's a recurring theme that you just, no matter who you're talking to, it seems to come up in conversation? Yeah, I, I think it's all above, but, but you certainly used a word that we've heard a lot, which is burnout. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, you know, I think especially for our, our, our colleagues who are seeing patients in hospitals, you know, in, in the ICU and emergency rooms and everything that have, that have really felt the brunt of, uh, of this pandemic. Um, it, it was, and to a great degree continues to be, physically 
emotionally, psychologically just draining. And uh, again, just time and again, hearing these conversations, people saying like, I've got to endure through this because this is why I became a doctor. It's why I became a nurse. But especially those who are maybe towards the, towards the end of their career are saying like, this is this is kind of all I can do, and and I need a break. And and you know, and even those who 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 weren't necessarily in a position to retire early, but it was just like you know, this summer, like I just need I need a break. I mean, we saw a tremendous amount of demand from our uh, our, our, our our partners, the hospitals, physician practices, urgent cares, kind of you name it. This summer of saying I, I got a lot of staff going on vacation, and I got a lot of patients. So can you help? And I think a lot of us were there. Like, I mean, I just, you know, I got to take my family to the beach this summer and I, it was the first time I'd put down my phone in a year and a half. Right. right. And, and so I think just psychologically, a lot of us were there. And, and I think now what I'm hearing is just this uh, disappointment of, you know, the expectation. I think when we got kind of the early summer, everybody thought, you know, vaccinations are happening. Cases are down we're returning to normal. And then with the Delta variant, I, I think pretty much everyone was was taken by surprise by this latest surge. And that's taken a big psychological adjustment. Um, I, you know, we work with a lot of healthcare executives. And one of the things we've heard from them, and, and again, I think this is, a, this is a, a theme that is impacting virtually all of us, but I think a lot of it also is just this was a time when people did a lot of reassessment on their lives and saying, is this where I want to live? Is this the kind of work I want to do? Is this you know, what, what I, I want to have uh, in, in my family experience and all that? And, and so we've seen just a lot of even healthcare executives, people in leadership management who are, are, are saying, you know, I did this during COVID, but this has made me realize I want to do something else. And mm -hmm. so you've heard a, a talk kind of in the workplace in general of the great resignation and thinking about study you read 50 to 60 to 65% of people right now are actively looking for a new job. And, and I think healthcare is not immune to that. And to some degree, perhaps even, even more intense because we were the ones that, that really felt the brunt of this through this pandemic. Mm-hmm. You hit a lot of the high points here that we're going to be discussing, and let's just get to it. One of the things is you're going to be speaking next month at MGMA's Leaders Conference. You're going to be addressing healthcare leaders, and your topic is workplace culture and leadership in unprecedented times. It's what we've been kind of getting at right now already, but Give us an idea if someone's going to be in attendance to, to that session or they're thinking about attending it, what are they going to learn from it? What are they going to uh, take away from that that they can, those leaders can take back to the practice and bring to their teams to kind of help lift them up a little bit or comfort them, whatever it might be? My goal in the session is that the leaders who walk away from it have some clarity on um, what, how culture works, what it is, what drives it, how they can impact it, but not just from a philosophical perspective, we're going to actually try to make this a little bit of a workshop so that everyone who walks out of the session has two or three very clear things that they can do 
to help move their organization closer to the culture to which they espouse. Um, and a lot of the goal of this, and, and I think what's driving this for so much of us is, is, you know, we use this phrase unprecedented time. We've heard it a, a jillion times over the last year and a half, and there's a reason for it. And all of us as leaders, especially are being faced with decisions for which we were not prepared and not trained. I mean, I'll just be honest with you. I, I do not remember a, a course in grad school about how to decide whether or not to mandate vaccines, no. right? You know, I mean, this is this is not my area of expertise. And we have been faced time and again with this as, as leaders, especially in healthcare, on, on these topics. And so if you think about, well, if I'm facing that and I'm not sure what to do with it, what about people through my organization? How are they approaching that? And so... You know, culture is not just this kind of feel-good thing. Culture is helping people understand what we do and what we don't do as a part of this team. And how do we create clarity for our organizations in addition to ourselves for how we're going to make some of these unprecedented decisions? Mm -hmm. You might have just answered it, but I want to ask you again. I mean, we hear the term culture. We've got a feeling, an idea of what it is, but to you, you've written a book on it. You live uh, the idea of, you know, building cultures for organizations. So give us what's your definition of culture and what it means to you. My definition of culture is the atmosphere that results from the decisions that a group makes in trying to accomplish their purpose. Uh, I love this word atmosphere. Like, you know, we, you kind of hear this sometimes if you're watching a big sporting event and the announcer say the atmosphere is electric, right? Is what is it right. you like to be a part of that group at, the, at that time? And it, it comes from all the decisions that as a group we make, the things we decide to do, the things that we decide not to do. When, it, when you're talking about culture, sometimes you, you use words like this. You, you say, oh, we would never do that here. Or let me show you how we do that. Right. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's, it's kind of how we do things around here is culture. And so that impacts, as I was saying a few minutes ago, it impacts everything, right? As a leader, you don't get a break from culture. This isn't just how we interact in the break room or if we do social things outside of work, this is how we approach things, the things that we do and the things that we don't do as a part of that group. Mm -hmm. Thanks for that. And, uh, I want to dig a little bit deeper into it. So we were talking earlier about how things have shifted in the workplace, how things have evolved in the workplace since the pandemic started. You study workplace cultures, you build, uh, design workplace cultures. So what's the most interesting thing to you, something that's really piqued your interest and gotten you thinking about workplace culture over these past 18 months? Uh, so this has not impacted us in healthcare as much, but in, in the society, and especially kind of white collar positions in general, is, is a huge issue right now around the whole uh, topic of remote work, right? For most of us in healthcare, you know, we're, we have been in, you know, in the office with the patients and all that sort of thing more often. But um, regardless of whether you're working remote or not, the last 18 months has changed the way that we interact personally, right? It, it's, it's, you know, some of it's now being virtual and like you and I are doing on a, on a computer, which is much more common now, obviously. Um, but just literally kind of the physical divides that we could put 
between people, the, the inability to see faces when we're wearing masks and in some of those sorts of things. And so what has been pretty fascinating to me over the last 18 months, and I, and I just hear this time and again when I talk to leaders, is, is that there's, there's two things they've learned. One is that they can do a lot more remotely than they thought. Like, you know, I, I, talking with someone last night, uh, Lee's a major Fortune 500 organization. He was saying this. He's like, you know, we're pretty efficient remotely, right? And so I think that's been eye-opening for most of us. But the opposite of that is also true. I think it has made so much of us, uh, so many of us, really appreciate the value of person-to-person human interaction. Mm-hmm. And, and create value for both of those things. And so if you think about this from like a cultural perspective, and you think about how culture spreads, like how do, how do I learn that this is something we do in this culture, something that I, I, I don't do in that culture? How does that happen remotely? How does it happen when you create literal physical separation? How does it happen when you um, a, a limit the way in which people can interact and, and take away some of the social experiences and, and those sorts of things. You know, how does that happen? And then how do you as a leader have to be purposeful in creating those moments for culture to spread? Mm-hmm. A few years ago, you wrote a book on this topic titled it Fostering Culture. I have to ask you, you wrote it pre-pandemic. So if you were writing it now, <laughs> if you yeah. reflect on that book, is there anything you'd want to change to it or even add a new chapter that reflects this new workplace environment that you were talking about? Yeah, I think, um, I, I don't think there, is, there are things necessarily that I would, I would change, but I do think, as I was just saying, there is, there is really some, some learning around um, how culture spreads and how to apply that in, in different environments. And um, I, this is something that I do talk about uh, in the book is, uh, this is a, one of my favorite phrases I learned is that um, most lessons are caught, not taught, right? It's just most of what we learn about kind of how we do things. It's because we, we saw parents do it or we, right. you know, we're around when, you know, someone who's a mentor to us, whatever, you know, you, you just kind of pick those things up. And so, and so how do you purposefully do that? But the other thing that I do think that I would add uh, to the book, and, and I may do this in the second edition, is the other way culture spread is through storytelling, right? Mm-hmm. It's the power of lore. And um, one of the limits I think that we have in, in, in today's environment with, especially when we're more remote and physically separated from each other, you just have fewer of those moments where you hear stories. Yeah. Um, and so, and so that is something I, I think, it, you know, is, is we're actually going to talk about this uh, very specifically in the session that we do next month, but is how as leaders do we take advantage of that? Um, and that's, that's something that I think has really become more clear to me over the last year and a half, how important that is, because it's been more difficult to do when we're not together. Mm-hmm. Following up on that, then. When you're talking about leaders, you're talking about culture. How does it get embedded into an organization then? And you're thinking about, is it the DNA of this particular organization? Is it a specific charismatic or a non-charismatic leader? I mean, you think 
I know that company and I, I have mentioned this one before because no matter where I go, I see it. Chick-fil-A in your backyard there is an example. There's a particular culture and there's a particular type of customer service and a particular type of, you know, pay, uh, customer experience that you get when you go to any Chick-fil-A, basically. There are other examples like that. So it's been ingrained there in the organizations you work with and you're seeing, how does it, how does it get created and how does it get <laughs> maintained, so to speak, as well? Yeah, I love this question. And, and um, you know, one of the questions I, I love to ask, and this is something like asking this question is frankly one of the reasons that I ended up writing the book. Because <laughs> yeah. it was, if you think about how do two organizations that are in the same business, essentially trying to do the same thing, how do they end up with such different cultures? Yeah. Right. I mean, I've spent a lot of time in a lot of different hospitals and with a, you know, a lot of different physician leaders and all that. You know, if, if you have, uh, you know, two different orthopedic groups, they're doing the same thing. And but if you kind of spend some time with that group, you're like, wow, culturally they are so different. Mm -hmm. they, it meaning like kind of what they do, how they do things is so different. And so, where does that come from? And and um, I, you know, my view, and I talk a lot about this in, in the book, but just very briefly is that I think you have to start by asking, why do we as individuals make different choices? Mm -hmm. Why do I choose to do some things and not others? And you make different choices. Where does that, that come from? And, and the answer really is, is because each of us has the set of values and beliefs that really drive us, right? These, these, these philosophies that are very very meaningful, very powerful to us, the, these things that we think that work, um, you know, the beliefs that we have. And, and all of us have these unique set of these and they drive our decisions. And so when you put a bunch of people together in, in, in a group, in, in, in a business, in a physician practice, in a hospital, in, you know, in whatever it is, in, in, a, in a sports team, any kind of a group, they bring these unique set of values and beliefs and the more aligned they are on, the, on those, the more likely they are to stay as a group and have loyalty to that group. And so that, those collective values and beliefs drive their decisions, which creates the culture. It's, it's how does it feel? How do people know what to do and not to do? And, so, and that's why you can have two groups essentially from the outside looking to try to accomplish the same thing, yet they do things very, very differently because mm -hmm. they come at it with these unique sets of values and beliefs. Right. You use the sports analogy, and that is one that is just one that embodies, you know, America and how we, we connect and disagree with our sports teams. But we see it time and again, um, an incredibly talented player, but might be a bad apple, might have a track record. And you groan a little bit uh, when you maybe see your team go, we're going to take a chance. And we've seen Bill Belichick at the Patriots has done it time and again. He has a particular culture yeah. there with the Patriots, fan or not a fan. I mean, I'm, I, I don't – I admire what they've accomplished. But um, we see that. And so my point of even making that distinction is the hiring part of it. I mean, the NFL, you're drafting or – someone bringing in someone through free agency who you see has those red flags, but also has a particular 40 yard dash or some other talent when you're hiring at the 
medical practice level. I mean, is that something when you're helping an organization or a practice build that culture, how much of that hiring in the first place is just so vital versus how much is we'll develop them once we get them here? You know, what are you having to weigh there to make it work? Yeah, this is such an important question. And um, I'm really glad that you brought up this topic because, you know, as I was just saying, you know, each of us brings our own set of values and beliefs. And, and when you get into a group, the only reason you join a group is because there's something you're trying to accomplish that you can't do by yourself, right? If you could do it by yourself, you wouldn't need to join right. the business or the team or whatever. And so you need other people and so you get together. However, once you get in that group, you start figuring out, like, do these, these people do things the way that I think they ought to be done, right? Like, and so, in, 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 if there's alignment there, like, oh, this is great, then I, I'm going to buy in, and it, and, it, and it builds that. But if I start getting and going, well, wait a minute, I don't think that's the way this ought to be done, that means you and I have different beliefs on this, or maybe we have different values that kind of drive our actions. Um, I'm going to opt out of that group. As soon as I can find another group that allows me to accomplish my purpose that's more aligned with my values and beliefs, I'm going to leave. And so, you know, I would argue virtually all turnover from, from organizations, from teams, happen based on this because we have a different set of, uh, of values and beliefs. And so it, 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 it turns out that some of these values, especially and some of these kind of real core beliefs, they're incredibly difficult to change. Right. There's, there's some things that we have that we kind of believe in, but they're just more preferences. And I could get, okay, you don't do it that way. That's fine. I'm, you know, I can do that. But there are some things that are pretty core to me and you're really not going to be able to talk me out of that belief. Right. And so if you think about back to your question of bringing someone new into a group and into an organization, it's, it's only a matter of time before they figure out if the things that they believe match the things that you believe and if they do they're in if they don't then they're out and so if you understand that as a leader saying like this is what's ultimately going to cause turnover it makes you say well i want that to happen as as soon as possible right we all know turnover is expensive and it's damaging or you know and all that sort of thing and so ideally my view is that i, I want to make sure these kind of core values and beliefs that we're probably not going to change on. I want to make sure people understand those before they join the team so that if they don't fundamentally agree with that, they'll never come on and then I don't have to worry about that. And so it's a, it's a very important thing about as a leader of how do you articulate that? How do you build it into your interview processes? Uh, we all have the technical skills, right? To go back to the football, like, you, you know, if you're going to be a running back in the NFL, you got to have a 40 yard dash of a certain time, right? right. You know, that's just a requirement. We all have the technical skills for certain roles and people have to check those boxes. But what's ultimately going to determine whether or not they really fit in the organization, help us achieve our purposes, uh, fit into our culture, is that alignment on the, on, on the beliefs and the way that we do things. Mm -hmm. You keep using the word leader. And so I wanna to turn to that now. We had uh, a guest on the podcast recently who pointed to some statistics that many employees don't leave the organization, they leave that boss. You know, they don't, uh, you know, they don't fit culturally or philosophically with that boss more so than with the organization itself. First of all, before we go too far down that road, do you agree with that? In your research and studies, have you found that as well? Or what have you I, found? I 
Yeah, I think there, I think there is a lot of uh, a truth to that, a lot of application to it. Um, um, it, it. You know, like everything, it's not only that simple, you know, when someone, right. when someone leaves, but it, 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 there's a lot of truth to it. I, I always kind of laugh when I think about this. This was several years ago, and it was frankly before I had really started uh, um, delving into culture deeply and research. And, uh, and we had a, uh, a new hire orientation for the people they were hiring, and our, our head of HR ran it, and, 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 and I saw him like literally in the hallway, and he said, hey, will you come in and, and talk to the new hires today? I'm like, yeah, sure, what do you want me to talk about? He said, no, it doesn't matter, just come in and say hello. So I walk in, and he's up there kind of talking about culture. And I don't remember what he what he was saying, and uh, but he just came. He said, "Shane, perfect timing. Will you tell us about uh, culture?" I said, "Well, my definition of culture is the way that my boss treats me, because it doesn't matter what we say around here. If my boss treats me like dirt, my culture's pretty bad, right? You know." And, and, uh, and he didn't invite me back to do higher orientation. After. <laughs> I don't think he liked my answer. But uh, you know, you've heard the term: the boss makes the weather. Yeah. Right. And so, and we've all experienced this that, uh, you know, probably early in our careers, you, you get uh, some affirming words, some encouragement, whatever from your boss, you come home and you're, you know, you're, you're on cloud nine, you get criticism, you get, uh, you know, some, some uh, negative comments, whatever from your boss, you go home and you kick your cat. Right. And so, so I think it's huge to that. The, the, to me, the, the implication of this is for leaders, is understanding that one of the primary ways that we drive the culture of our organization is through our other leaders. Mm -hmm. And I would tell you, for me, the way I view my job, the most important thing I do is making sure that the leaders throughout our organization have tremendous clarity on our values and beliefs and how we apply them and that we have inspection mechanisms in place to make sure that, that they are doing things in alignment with those values and beliefs because of what this other guest said is because that's where the rubber meets the road. We can do a lot of great things as an organization, but if our leaders, especially those who are like, you know, really on the front lines who are really uh, impacting the day-to-day -day work of those who are doing the work, if they aren't living this out, if they aren't managing, communicating, rewarding in ways that are consistent with our culture, uh, it's all going to fall apart. Mm -hmm. What are some specific ways then that those leaders can influence the culture within the organization? What have you seen work? Well, I think it's a, a number of things. And I, and I think the first thing to, to realize is kind of going back to one of the early statements I made is that uh, as a leader, you never get a break from culture. Right. Again, you know, we typically think about this topic of a culture around it's kind of the soft, mushy stuff. It's the social things. It's the, you know, we're all going to go to happy hour on Friday or whatever. And it's so much more than that. And so one of the, the things that we really try to encourage and, and, and teach our leaders how to do is to explain the why. And, and, and this is you know, so many people have seen the, the famous Simon Sinek TED talk about the, you know, this, that's not, that's great. That's actually not what I'm talking about here. It's the, not just let me show you how to do this, explain to you why we do it this way, right? Because, because then what you're, what you're really doing is, is you're explaining to someone, this is the belief we have that guides the action that we do in this situation. Right. And so, first of all, it's a much superior way to help someone learn. But 
one of the reasons this is so important is because I can't train you for every single situation you're ever going to encounter, right? I, I can't, I can't teach you the answer to every question, every problem that's going to go. I can't teach you how to do that. You're going to encounter situations that are novel to you. But if I can help you understand the principle behind the decisions that we make, then when you get to that new situation, you understand uh, the, the, the way that we want you to approach that situation. And so that's one of the, the main things that we try to do with our, with our leaders is constantly be, help people understand the why behind the action, behind the decision, give people the context, help them become experts in what we do and not just how we do it. Mm-hmm. As a final question, I want to take it in a more personal direction because you've devoted, gosh, 20 plus years or so to this. You've got a company that you uh, run. So what are your company's values and beliefs that, that drive your decisions and help inform how those leaders can be purposeful in that decision-making process? You know, so it's not just what Shane's saying, but it's what Shane's saying and that other team of leaders. So it just truly does have that buy-in. Our, I'll talk about this from our values. We have three core values. We talk about them constantly. Um, we value on them. They're very much part of our, our lexicon. And, and, and I joke with people because that, you know, we've all been in those organizations that have values that are on a poster on the wall. Yeah. And, you know, and everybody's sitting around going, yeah, I don't know what that is because it has nothing to do with the way we actually do things around here. And, uh, and when I interview with people, whatever, I tell them, I'm like, look, just, uh, you don't have to believe me now, but, but I, I'm telling you for organization, this is, this is very, very central. We have a tremendous amount of buy-in on this. We talk about it a lot. Our three core values, uh, first is others first, is thinking about others uh, before yourself. Um, this is uh, not only a wonderful uh, value to apply towards relationships. I would say it's going to improve your friendships and your marriage and all that. If you really think about the needs of other people, it also happens to be, I would argue, a brilliant business strategy. If you really think through and really truly understand the needs and the problems of your, your customers and your stakeholders, it enables that you to be able to create great solutions for them and drives great customer satisfaction and all those sorts of things. Uh, so others first is our first value. The second value is wisdom. I love this one. Uh, wisdom, first of all, because you don't hear that used in business settings that much. Um, and so we like to, it, it, we used to ask the question, what is the right thing to do? And we really shifted on that. And now we ask, what's the wise thing to do? And, and you know, I don't know about you, but as I get older, I, I have fewer decisions that are clear cut right and wrong. Right. There's just most of the time there's not a right answer, right? You know, there's just a whole lot of gray. And so, so, so I, I found a more helpful question is what's the wise thing to do? Uh, wisdom, my definition of wisdom is the discernment to determine the best methods to achieve the best objectives. It takes wisdom to know what's worth pursuing and wisdom to know how to get there. Wisdom necessarily implies long-term thinking, right? No one ever witness someone make a decision that felt good in the moment and was going to be bad for them long term and say, wow, that guy's really wise, right? That's not, you know, wisdom just implies thinking about impact on multiple stakeholders over long periods of time. And so for us, this guides so much about how we think about our business, that we think about 
um, you know, the needs of our customers and our, and our stakeholders really understand what they need. And we think about it over a long period of time. We're not just trying to create short-term uh, solutions. And then our third value after others first in wisdom is growth. And uh, we define growth as continually getting better, not continually getting bigger. Uh, for us, I think if you do continually get better, often you, time you do get bigger. Um, but we just think that we have both a moral and an economic imperative to continue to improve on everything that, that uh, we have, our, our, our assets, our, our capital, our skills, our influence, everything we have. This is, we're stewards over all these things. And, and, um, and, and we think that we have uh, really the obligation to continue to, to grow and improve on what we do. And so within our organization, that's just an expectation. We need to be getting better at everything we do all the time and continually challenging ourselves to learn and how we improve. And uh, so we really view all our decisions and everything we do through those three values in that lens. All right. Well, Shane, I, it's been a pleasure talking to you, um, hearing you share these thoughts with us today and looking forward to meeting with you in sunny San Diego in about a month or so. I'm looking forward to it. The weather out there sounds pretty great. Uh, so it's going to be great to be with everyone. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to our guest, Shane Jackson. Also, thanks to Allscripts and to MGMA Leaders Conference for sponsoring this week's show. You can accelerate your path to medical practice leadership by joining us in San Diego, October 24th through the 27th at the Medical Practice Excellence Leaders Conference. Or you can join us for our digital experience, November 16th through the 18th. Visit mgma.com mpe21 and register today. And with Allscripts Revenue Cycle Management Services, you get a robust end-to-end -end revenue cycle solution that improves reimbursement processes and offers access to advanced analytics and reporting. Learn more at allscripts.com. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. If you have topics you'd like us to cover or experts you'd like us to interview, Email us at podcast at mgma.com or you can find me on Twitter at MGMA Daniel. MGMA Insights is presented by Declan McGee, Rob Ketchum, and I'm Daniel Williams. Stay safe and thanks for listening. Hi, this is Declan McGee, one of the producers for the MGMA Insights Podcast. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com slash membership. Thanks.